Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codenamed Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codenamed Arate. I'm a blur with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent much of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we're looking at 16 years of DC animated movies to see which stories are sweet and which ones are sour on yet another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codenamed Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codenamed Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year Vampirella, the movie, dropped in cinemas. I don't think I was allowed to watch that movie. I, no. I remember exactly what she looked like. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, absolutely not. No. Um, and for those who don't know, it was set 30 centuries ago on a distant planet called Draculon with a civilized vampire society that drinks synthetic blood that flows through rivers across the planet. Yep. Okay. Yep. That's that's the story. And there's Mars and blood sucking and they go to Earth. And uh, yeah, there you go. I guess we're talking a lot about vampires today because I had another connection here. As we're talking about today's film, Justice League, Gods and Monsters. That is right. We are still going strong with our sweet or sour season with this Elseworlds story. That at a runtime of 76 minutes, Sam Liu has directed his 2015 film from the darker minds of Alan Burnett and Bruce Tim. Yeah, that name is probably going to be like really a callback for people because Bruce Tim was very pinnacle in the creation of the entire animated series world from Batman, the animated series, the new adventures, and ultimately having a hand in creating what we like to call the Dinnyverse or the Timverse, where it consisted of the Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, uh, Static Shock, and all those other things, and little sub-connections, I believe, to um, Ben 10. I think we do have a connection to Ben 10. <laughs> ben 10? <laughs> yes. Uh, for Bruce Tim, at one point in DC Animation, Bruce decided to step down as a figurehead of the uh, animated world, giving the reins over to James Tucker, who we've talked about at one point, uh, mainly because... Bruce Tim had a dream of diving into a little bit of darker stories, and especially a darker story dealing with the Justice League. And surprisingly, this is the movie that we got here. Okay. Uh, I mean, definitely darker. <laughs> mm-hmm. Darker, but still rated PG-13. Uh, see, I, I, I'm now convinced. After doing these, I'm convinced they're making it up. Like, these cannot be PG-13. I'm Let's so just roll angry. the dice. <laughs> So we got the animation work provided by MOI Animation, who's done a lot of DC films already. And today, the plot of our film is that it takes place in the alternate universe where the Justice League are a bit more extreme in their actions for peace. So when enough is enough, we finally get to see the line between gods and monsters. I do not know if that's the actual like tagline for it, <laughs> but I just felt like I'm, I'm taking credit for it right now. Yeah, it should be. <laughs> All right, so it's now time for our cast list. And because this is an alternate universe, a.k.a. an else world, we are going to see some similar characters, such as, or rather similar actors, such as uh, C. Thomas Howell, 
who is giving his voice a rest from Reverse Flash while he voices the character Dr. Will Magus, Magnus here today. Jason Isaacs is back, not playing Sinestro this time, as in our Emerald Knights episode, but this time he is Lex Luthor. And of course, we got like a bunch of great film and voice actors such as Padgett Brewster, um, Dee Bradley Baker, Great Delal Griffin, Josh Keaton, Yuri Lowenthal, Kerry Payton, and Carl Lumbly. So pretty much a stat cast when it comes to voice acting. And now we have our actual characters who are brand new to the DC world. We have Dexter. Uh, that's not his actual name, but it's a character he played on the show. As he's continuing on his bloodthirsty ways as Michael C. Hall is voicing Kirk Langstrom, a.k.a. the Batman. I mean, same character, really. Yeah, pretty much. Actually, oh, damn, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Just gave him a suit. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Tamara Taylor, who's been a force in the crime and sci-fi drama, today we'll see her as Becca, a.k.a. Wonder Woman. And finally, we're forced to remember him in Coco as Ernesto de la Cruz. But today, you will remember Benjamin Bratt as Hernan Guerra, a.k.a. Superman. Yeah, I knew there was something sad about his voice. <laughs> There's so many... He probably fed someone a bad meal, gave him something bad to drink, a toast to friendship. I think not. <laughs> All right, so that's the stats of our film. Uh, cast us to set. So now it's time to boom tube over to the beginning of Justice League, Gods and Monsters. So we start off with, you know, the same Superman story you always see. Superman's parents are about to send a rocket with an unfertilized egg of Clark Kent. Then of all of a sudden, Zod shoots the father and then imprints his DNA and sends the kid to Earth. Wait a minute, something's different <laughs> about this version of the story. Yeah, there's a lot of um, legal questions I have to ask about this um, misconception yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> kind of weird that, well, kind of weird that they just didn't make him a baby to begin with. I, I It was weird that he had to be like genetically related right. to Zod. That was kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, it was... You know, we're not going to talk about that because I guess we're we're not qualified to give you the birds and the bees story here. <laughs> All you need to know is Zod sends off his son, question mark, off <laughs> to Earth as Krypton explodes. And when it lands on Earth, instead of being found by Martha and Jonathan Kent, he is instead picked up by a couple of immigrants and taken away to safety. And you don't need to know any more about that because we're hard cutting to when they're adults. <laughs> mm -hmm. So now we see that uh, there is illegal things happening in terms of people are, are uh, I don't know, like they're, they're packing weapons, I believe it was. Uh, so at this moment, this is when we are introduced to our new trinity of this universe. We see Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman all break through the ceiling and float down. Like this is this was the craziest thing to me because they were just like floating down, like just like gods, kind of. As we get a sense now that these individuals are different from the versions that we've seen before. Like, for example, uh Superman has a goatee. <laughs> <laughs> big difference, big change for him. <laughs> so this immediately leads into a firefight as um they try to get the people who are working with the weapons to stop what they're doing. However, they immediately start shooting. And this is where we learned that the Justice League this time around, um, they're a bit more extreme in their efforts because despite the fact that we have our 
Steve Trevor here, who is calling out to them. He's still acting as a JL liaison. He's calling out to them, telling them, don't do anything crazy. But they did something crazy as pretty much, I don't think anybody got out of this alive. Nope. No, they, uh, because this Batman takes his job literally. He is draining people of their blood. Superman is pulling a Homelander and just <laughs> annihilating everyone. And Wonder Woman's pulling a Wonder Woman and just not really caring if you, you live or die. Yep. And they slice their way through tons of grunts before they knock over a huge steel door, splattering more grunts <laughs> into the ground in a PG-13 movie. And they're now facing alternate versions of popular villains that we are familiar with. Yes, if I'm not mistaken, we see an alternate version of Livewire, um, who does not have her electrical powers that come out of her hands, it seems, or more so she uses a gun that shoots off electricity, which is basically a giant taser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, yeah, it's like I don't you lose the name Livewire when you when you just use the weapons. Um, but you also have a version of Bronze Tiger, I believe, but this tiger has spots, so I would assume he's Bronze Leopard. Mm. And the last one we have is Blockbuster. Um, he basically looks like a Neanderthal. There is a DC superhero that is a Neanderthal. Um, he basically looks like this as they all start fighting against them. It gets super graphic here at this point, mainly because as Batman is being held down by Blockbuster, um, he gets aggravated to the point where he just decides to bite Blockbuster and drain him of his blood right then and there. Yeah, that no-kill rule is completely out the window. It's an all-kill rule (laughs) for this Batman. And the other Justice Leaguers finish off their respective opponents. Once uh, they're all done, Steve Trevor comes in and says, guys, what the hell is all this? (laughs) And they're like, look, we got the job done. Get a mop. Even though Steve Trevor's like, oh, bring a mop. I was like, no, bro, you're going to (laughs) need... at least two mops like and a (laughs) a, like a Roomba at the very least (laughs) and don't forget the fabuloso like I feel like that some of that some of those bloodstains ain't coming out that easy (laughs) no that they left a lot in the aftermath of this mission kind of the violence and brutality of the league is well known in the news media as some people complain who's watching the Justice League and don't pretend like I didn't steal that from Watchmen all right Mm -hmm. we we know you did (laughs) Yes, and this is all coming through from a report from this uh, versions of, version of Lois Lane. She is basically commenting on the fact that she, she clearly doesn't like the Justice League, or rather she's just very to the point and trying to make sure that all voices are heard. So she's basically talking about how, once again, no one's tra- keeping track of the Justice League. This causes Superman to get a little upset you know he's on his chair he's one thing i think was a kind of a interesting change he doesn't have a cape this time around he has a long trench coat that he just just has tucked over to the side but as he's watching the news with a glass of whiskey in his hand and um, becca wonder woman joins him along with pouring her own glass i would actually say was actually poured heavy heavy handedly <laughs> this is when they're just talking about the fact that they're you know how they're being seen by the world and as they have in this conversation, we have to jump on over to our new person who was entering the this version of the Hall of Justice. As we have, we see a very scared-looking Silas Stone making his way into the Hall of Justice, being monitored not only by Superman, who is seeing him there, but also by these two random little 
like computer robots, kind of like T spears on the side. Yeah. I was confused at first. I was like, is this Stone or is this uh, Curtis Holt? Like, <laughs> right. It got really confusing. And I, at least on the bright side, it means that we have many, many Black people to pull from that are super intelligent. So that is really way to go, DC. <laughs> <laughs> but we find out that Silas Stone has been uh, called over by Superman because Superman needs his help on the task. So we don't get a chance to really find out what that is because we got to hop on over to, I believe it was Antarctica. Yeah, somewhere cold, uh, for sure. Maybe Chicago, um, but wherever they are, um, they there's one scientist just having a time, just going across collecting some data, and all of a sudden he is attacked by this huge creature, and in a, a one an unintentionally funny moment for this movie, the scientist pulls out a gun. Um, I wasn't aware guns were standard gear for. Artist <laughs> for for a scientist in the Arctic, but again, if he's in Chicago, it does make sense. Um, so he is tries he might. The gun does nothing against this fast opponent, and as he dies, we find out the scientist is named Victor Freeze. Ooh, Mister Freeze of this universe won't, won't won't be around for a while. Again, I still feel bad that we keep calling him Mister Freeze. The man is a whole doctor, like yeah. <laughs> Ah, uh, sorry, dude, but the name just caught on. Yeah. The freeze is just, it's easier. <laughs> well, either way, we have to hop on over because we see that there is a tiny horse. There is a tiny horse. His name is not Sebastian, but we do know that he is a tiny horse. As we see that Dr. Ryan Choi, um, this, version, this version of him, is picking up the horse and he is talking with his associate, Dr. Ray Palmer, both of whom we know to be the Adam and DC major continuity. It's clear that they are at their work again of working with um, technology to miniaturize organic beings. So now that Ray is super happy about this work, he's getting ready to go home. He's taking the three, his three horses with him. And at that moment, we see another one of these creatures that attacked Victor Freeze in the beginning has now decided to attack uh, Ryan Choi and is now chasing after Ray Palmer in the truck. Yeah, that sword swipe to Ryan Choi is still a kinder fate than what CW did to his character. Jesus Christ, like, <laughs> I couldn't let my man show up in one show. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, so this uh, sword-wielding creature slices up the, the car that Palmer's in. And Palmer, for his, I give him credit, he survives a car crash. He hides out. And it does look for a second like he might make it. But then his phone rings. Mm-hmm. And you know what? He should have just answered it because he's dead anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and as he gets killed off screen... We cut to Kirk, who surprisingly, unlike the vampires on planet Draculon, does not want to stay like that forever. And he is trying to work on a cure with his friend, Dr. Magnus. It is re- reassuring to see this version of Kirk is not a man bat. You know, he's just a Batman trying to get back all of his humanity. And as he struggles with that, we cut to Silas Stone following up on some of that research. He is having a conversation with his son, which is cleared as young Victor here. The two of them are talking about, because Victor is amazed over the fact that his father is working with Superman. So he's asking him, like, can you tell me about him? What what what, what he looked like? What was it like? Were you scared? 
And his father isn't really giving him much, except for the fact that he did see Wonder Woman, which perks up Victor's um, interest once again. However, they are immediately attacked when another creature that those same similar ones that attacked uh, Victor Freeze and Ray Palmer now appears into their workstation and confused at first they first they finally see that this being sends off like I don't know kind of like fire from its from its eye in some way shape or form causing Silas to tell his son to run away as he grabs this version of the sonic boom cannon that uh cyborg normally has attached to his arm as we see that silas is putting in the work to defend his family to defend his home to defend his work and i gotta say this version of silas stone is no is not a bad father (laughs) nah he was putting in the work with those cyber blippies Mm -hmm. um unfortunately it is not enough and victor even though he's just a kid goes out cursing (laughs) no booyahs here (laughs) um as he and his father are burned by the lasers into crisp skeletons uh in the aftermath of this incident superman goes and visits the crime scene discovers the bodies and is already knowing that the press is going to be bad on this so he goes back to the tower And together, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman realize each of these attacks was set up to frame each one of them for their specific abilities. And now everyone's going to think the Justice League was after these random scientists. And I do appreciate this sequence because um, we don't, in Justice League movies, we usually get lots of action and not, not a whole emphasis on detective work and figuring out mysteries because you're just introducing so many characters. Yeah. But since it's three, we have plenty of time to really dive into the mystery and it really pulls you into the story of like, what is going on? Why are they being framed? Who is doing it? And why are they killing these scientists? This prompts for all of them to really try to figure out what to do. Um, We have that Superman decides to head on over to have a conversation with Lois Lane um, clearly, it's just to get ahead of the story. But then the thing that we see, uh, the first interaction that we do see is when Kirk Langstrom, a Batman, heads on over. He's having a conversation. Uh, he discovers this email uh, from Dr. Stone and several other scientists. And it's basically about a project called Project Fair Play. So he sees that his friend, Dr. Will Magnus, is on it. And as he's trying to copy the files, um, he narrowly escaped. I do want to point out that I don't know if you saw this, but the, the flash drive that he used was a miniature version of himself. Conceded much. <laughs> <laughs> he escapes just in time before the cleaning crew comes to see him. And this is when he kind of has a flashback about his whole journey with um, making friends with Will and as well as his own um story because what happens is that as he's looking around the room he sees a picture of what he calls luther's boys where it's him will and a bunch of other scientists many of whom have just perished by the hands of these um these beings and now he's putting two of the two together realizing that maybe it's one it's something happening with one of them 
Yes. And to get more insight, we do go into a long flashback. And, uh, you know, you may have heard Emerald Knights and think we're still traumatized about <laughs> flashbacks, but we don't hate them uh, if, you, if you do them right. And luckily, this is a great example of how to flashback into the past, because we see that Kirk was at college, normal guy, um, just graduated as one of the Luther boys. And he is just obsessed with his work. And his friends want to get him to co come out and party. And one night, nice, funny Easter egg. They're like, Ivy's got the weed, basically. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's got that homegrown. <laughs> she, <laughs> she grows it herself, man. Um, and while they're hanging out, they, they're, they've had a night of drinking. Kirk suddenly falls ill. And they realize that Kirk is suffering from lymphoma and that his time is limited. But the one thing that might be able to save him is by combining his research with Magnus's, his friend Magnus's nanites. And they do so. Uh, Kurt's research basically, well, uh, the only way I can describe this is if you have about, I don't know, like an hour and change, watch Morbius. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, because he realizes that with his with the what he can do with combining the uh, DNA with the using the nanites using the bonds that the nanites can create without it um, causing cellular failure, that he'll be able to hold on his his body will be able to uh, properly produce blood cells and everything like that. I'm not too familiar, uh, unfortunately, about how lymphoma works. So basically, what he decides to do is that using the vampire bat DNA, he decides to put it within himself using the nanites and they tested a couple times, you know, they tested it on the mouse at first. Unfortunately, though, it does seem like Kirk's condition is getting worse, um, as well as a just another thing that I have to point out that I know in the scene was very dramatic, but I could not not focus on this. But Kirk's hair changed several times throughout the entire scene. <laughs> That's the power of nanites, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it went from brown to black to brown to black to brown to black several times throughout this whole flashback. But as he injects the nanites into the system, um, everything seems to be fine. However, they go back to their dorm. And this is when, um, well, it hits the fan here because Kirk is sweating out his, his situation as Tina is trying to push for Magus to, Magnus to um, really like tend to Kirk. But he tells him that he is worried about him. And this is when they hear a large crash before entering the room and seeing that Kirk has left the building. Yep. And he is a hungry boy after his sudden injection. And upon just finding some thugs, are they in Gotham? Because these thugs <laughs> are just like on <laughs> must site. Be on site? Why was it so or, on site? Where does this whole movie take place in Chicago? Um, <laughs> so... He is attacked by these two thugs and he realizes very quickly that he has super strength. He can dodge bullets and he doesn't mind sucking blood to get ahead. So at this point, he realizes that the serum has permanently changed his biology and now he is a living vampire. Uh, this entire flashback is better than Morbius. Mm -hmm. uh, pound for pound. <laughs> Between his relationship with his friend Magnus, uh, this unrequited thing where 
he seems to like Tina. Tina seems to like him, but Tina is clearly with Magnus. It this all these interpersonal relationships and emotion really make you feel for this character and how he got turned into this creature just to save his life. It's very, it's very tr- classic Batman villain mm-hmm. from another perspective, which is is cool to see. Yeah, I definitely agree. And we immediately get pulled out of that flashback as he flies on into the night as we see our next scene with um, Superman having, as we mentioned, Superman has this conversation with Lois Lane. So he heads on over to the Daily Planet. This is where um, she he offers to fly her over to the Hall of Justice, where she immediately declines because uh, rightfully so. You've had beef with this person for so long. He could probably drop you off into the Chicago River. So as she drives on over, they walk into where um, Superman's been doing all of his research. He reveals to her that he reveals his ship to her. He reveals the work that he was doing, why he contracted um, Silestone to work with him. And we find out it's because Superman's just trying to find out more about himself. Uh, when he first landed, he, it appears that he lost track of his ship. It appears that the U.S. government took hold of it. And, um, you know, especially Lex Luthor, who was involved, who was at the crash site upon um, when Superman first arrived, he has been a major player against uh, the Justice League as Superman. He feels like Superman isn't living up to his potential as a superhero. So now that he has his ship back, he reveals to her that he's been looking into the files, which unfortunately have been corrupted. However, he has been able to pick up an image of the man he supposes is his father because they do look alike. And this is where they start putting, he starts saying things like, you know, I'm assuming that he was a great man. You know, he probably was trying to save the, the planet from his ultimate destruction. And Lois isn't having it. She's just like, this is clearly you trying to put a spin. This is spin control. You are trying to not talk about the fact that all these scientists are dead by just saying that the only reason that Silas Stone was in your vicinity is because you were working with him, where this clearly seems to be something way more than that. And, um, you know, I like this version of Lois here, to be honest. Yeah, she seems, not to say any version of Lois is particularly naive, mm-hmm. but she her caution with Superman is appreciated here. She's not just like, wow, you can do these amazing things. It's like, no, I'm really going to challenge why you are doing these amazing things. What is your incentive? What is your end game? And it really pushing him to answer these questions about um, who is he and who who um, who he was raised. And he does mention being raised by a migrant couple, mm-hmm. taught him about some harsh realities. And that is a fascinating thread to think about how, you know, he's this alien from another planet. And um, like, are these migrants legal immigrants are they illegal immigrants so are they running from the law are they are they in the country and but are treated as if they are illegal you know these questions would add to his upbringing um by the way we never get his actual name right like he never calls himself nope he never says his name and it this name is buried unless you read the comic that's connected to it or honestly just google it um it is i do wish that they did share his name i think they do share his last name at one point but never his full name which i think um really does change the game 
on who he is because for me it was kind of cool hearing that superman can speak spanish and not in the way that we've seen in the past where he's just connecting with another person you know he's just translating what he's saying it's like he understands the culture a little bit yeah it's a it's a nice dynamic so it's not simply just this is odd you know <laughs> right yeah <laughs> they could have done but they they do shift it up a little bit so after we get some after we cut away from Superman and find out that Amanda Waller is president in the worst timeline ever, um, <laughs> Bumblebee pops by Magnus to pay him a visit because she is also on the team of this team of scientists, one of Luther's boys. I guess it wasn't a gender neutral team um, <laughs> term for the team. Um, so she is worried about the, the league and Kirk is there just in time to kind of hear what the concerns are are developing but magnus is downplaying project fair play he doesn't want to talk about it tina is there to support langstrom and in a weird hit online outside of a glass window which magnus could see um langstrom hits on tina magnus's wife i'm like bro could you step like two feet to the right like before you get your game on damn (laughs) When you're Batman, I guess you really don't care. <laughs> That's true. I forgot about that. <laughs> but you know what, though? He does give his, um, he does give some time for, what's his name, Tin, who is my favorite character in this film, mainly because Tin is just basically Alfred without the sass, but it's, like, it's clear that we need to give some respect to Tin. Now, Batman finding out about Project Fairplay, Superman trying to spin control the narrative that is why he was working with Dr. Silas Stone. It's now time for uh, Becca Wonder Woman to go in and try to do what she can to find out how much information they actually have about what's going on. And by which I mean the U.S. government. So she decides to head on over to where her their, the Justice League liaison, Steve Trevor, is training. He is doing some, um, just basically some bow staff work. As she boom tubes over to um, into the dojo, and she, you know, basically invites him to have a friendly competition with her. The result being that if she wins the battle, the sparring match, she will get whatever information that she needs from him about what information they have regarding the case, what basically what's incriminating them. And if she loses, he gets her uh yeah this movie has some weird ideas about consent in this universe <laughs> like, it really does everyone needs to go to a seminar in this universe um <laughs> but the battle is uh, incredibly lopsided and even trevor re- recognizes like you're 50 times stronger than me there's there's no way you're I'm, mm-hmm. i got this and the fight gets a little heated when trevor mentions that wonder woman belonged to someone once and this prompts a, another flashback where we find out that Becca was kind of a gift um, mm-hmm. to make peace. She was going to be in an arranged marriage with Darkseid's son, Orion, in this universe. Yes, Darkseid's yes. son, yes. Orion. <laughs> Is he always? <laughs> He's always Darkseid's son instead of the natural storyline in which um, Darkseid and the High Father exchange sons as a way to broker peace, by which you mean orion and uh mr miracle aka scott free uh this time around it seems like we decided to just have it be a marriage between orion and high father's granddaughter becca 
Yeah. So she's feeling, you know, mixed about this. And I understand because she looks outside of her bedroom in apocalypse and it's just fire. Um, <laughs> so I get it. And Orion decides to show her a to really make an effort. So he does a whole new world with her, takes her. Thank on you for saying carpet. I was thinking that the entire time watching this <laughs> above the lava. A whole new world. <laughs> to, there's a beautiful part of Apocalypse, apparently, we've never seen. And he decides that on this beautiful part of Apocalypse, he'll give her a gift. And that is her trademark sword that is cut sharp and also has a boom tube and a handle. I am jealous uh, mm-hmm. because this, just for the traffic alone, I would take <laughs> it. <laughs> And it does seem like they have a sweet connection. Yeah, they really do. Um, you know, to be honest, this was a story I was really rooting for here. So now it's time for the wedding. Everybody is, you know, basically that in their best, in their Sunday best here. Uh, and as they're having the whole entire wedding officiated by Granny Goodness, this is when um, Becca starts pulling Orion away, telling him that we, we can go. It's time to kind of like enjoy our lives. But more so, it seems like she's worried about something. And as he turns around, um, this is basically when we start hearing the reigns of Castamere. <laughs> yes, this is a red wedding because Highfather is turning on Darkseid, explodes Darkseid's head. Yeah. PG-13? <laughs> no, I lost the... They lost the PG-13 rating once they showed what happened to Granny Goodness when one of the people who was standing at the altar just turned around, pulled a gun from her bouquet and shot her straight in the head. Like, come on. No, this is no longer PG-13. <laughs> and it is savage. All of Darkseid's people are being murdered. And Becca tries to take Orion away, but he he just feels loyal to his people. He tries to fight, but is killed in the process. And Becca decides to run away, uh, presumably to Earth, to start a new life after this red wedding. And um, this, just remembering all of this ha- that has happened to her, it inspires her to slice the weights machine in half. And damn it, I was going to work on my arms, but I can't do that. <laughs> anymore because of the slashback <laughs> but once again i think the the movie does effectively use a flashback get you into the story so you fully understand what the character is about and where they're coming from mm-hmm. and now it's time for us though to gather every single person who is a part of project fair play this includes basically the smartest of the smartest of the smart we got all of Luther's boys. We got um, John Henry Irons. We got Thomas Morrow, Michael Holt, Pat Dugan, Emil Hamilton, Karen Beecher. Bumblebee is back again. Um, I believe we also saw Dr. Savannah, who ends up being a Shazam villain at one point. Um, and they're all just talking about their, that they're being targeted. It is now clear. Um and they definitely know that they're being targeted as well as the Justice League knows they're being targeted because um, from something that Wonder Woman learned, she learns that um, they were able to match the weapons to everything about the Justice League. So they're fearful of the Justice League, but then 
Batman is also an appearance here. He's not in the crowd. He's listening off to the side. And this is when he sees a boom tube open up, revealing the three beasts or monsters that's been killing the, um, the scientists this entire time as he takes on one and the others go on the rampage. I do love right before we get to this rampage that when Holt is asked about his role in Project Fairplay, he's like, I wasn't even there for all of it. I just <laughs> named it. <laughs> Bro, you shouldn't have come. Uh, right? It was like, not me. Nope. We are not putting this on me. <laughs> I was good in Chicago. <laughs> Sorry, Chicago, for all the jokes today, but you're just just teed up. Um so yeah, this starts a massacre that is actually worse than the Red Wedding. People mm-hmm. are pulled apart. They're impaled. They're beheaded, sliced to ribbons. I was like, is this the Constantine movie? Because <laughs> this, this is gruesome. And Batman, I admit, he's doing work. He is mm-hmm. fighting three of these creatures at the same time, trying to keep Magnus and Tina alive. Unfortunately, Tina dies painfully right before superman and wonder woman arrive on the scene magnus is burned to a crisp and it looks like ever and even 10 even 10 dies you know what though respect to my boy 10 because he was putting in some serious work he like jumped on one of their backs and was giving them the one two behind the head unfortunately though these monsters are able to project spikes from their body like a porcupine my boy gets impaled ah Felt that one, man. Like, pour one out to my boy, Tin. Mm. Mm. But we don't got enough time because actually we could pour one out to our boy, Tin, because we head on back to the League Tower, um, you know, that's filled with that whiskey that Superman and Wonder Woman be drinking as they're now reassessing and trying to recover everything that's happened. Yeah, because one thing that amazingly happened is that Magnus did survive the attack, had a faint heartbeat. So they got him on some... I guess Kryptonian juice. I don't know <laughs> to to try to pump him up. And now in this desperate corner, they have nothing, no leads left. They decide these are Luther's boys that are getting got right. So mm-hmm. let's go see him. And it turns out that Luther is just chilling in space. <laughs> Man on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Superman flies all the way up. The satellite out in space, and this is where Luthor reveals everything. Like this is this man's like basically death, death, like dying breath of just revelations of things. He reveals that Project Fair Play is actually was actually put in place to take down the Justice League should they ever get to the point where they were too crazy. Um, basically, shout out to Justice League Doom once again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then we find out that Luthor has been messing with this version of Superman this entire time. He reveals something very slight, and it's enough for Superman to comment on it. And he realizes Luthor has, in fact, decrypted all of the files that, that came on Superman's ship. So he sees way more than the final seconds of Krypton. He sees everything. He learns, he reveals this to Superman. It's revealed that Zod is truly his father. Zod was the one that shot his dad's finger, stopping that moment of the birds and the bees. And he did not want to share this with Superman. They gave him fake files, one of which is still being held over by the U.S. government. They re- he reveals that he didn't want to give Superman this information because if Superman knew 
who his father really was. He was worried that Superman would turn out just like him. And this leads into a very big debate. Like, you know, what if I did have all that information? Like, what if it, I could still end up the same way that I am now? And Luthor basically tells him that even if he ended up like how he is now, he would still be disappointed because he is in no way, shape, or form a hero. And, you know, when you get that burn, there's only one thing to do. You just got to leave. And mm-hmm. Superman does. He just takes off. And just as he's leaving, Luthor's whole spaceship explodes. And he realizes with NASA satellites and the, the frame job already done on him, it's pretty much a done deal. So everyone assumes he did it. So they, Steve Trevor and the president are like, evacuate metropolis yeah right okay (laughs) (laughs) and they attempt to evacuate metropolis they prepare to fight the justice league and there's a nice exchange where batman says you know years ago before all of this you found me near the docks with a rat in my mouth why did you take me in and he just goes because you were hungry you know that that simple exchange tells so much about their friendship and why they work together. And as Batman agrees to stay behind to try and keep Magnus safe, Wonder Woman and Superman go to fight pretty much everybody. (laughs) Yeah, this is crazy because now Steve Trevor, by order of President Waller, I still can't believe I will say that, um, by order of President Waller, now is able to bring in the entire Justice League for their crimes against humanity they have quote unquote proof that Superman was the one that killed Lex Luthor and the whole league was responsible for the deaths of every single one of Luthor's boys, the remaining scientists. So they're pleading with them, telling them that like, you know, by which I mean the Justice League, they're like, we didn't do this. However, they're also saying, if you try something, we will end it. And this is where it's revealed that it is now time to put Project Fair Play in place as the first thing that happens is that Superman is shot by a red solar radiation gun. And this changes the game as Superman is hurt. So now it's up to Wonder Woman to try to defend basically the entire tower while Superman is also trying to do his thing. And Batman puts up a shield. But then we hop on over to Lois Lane, who is recording this whole entire thing. And she gets a call from who I'm assuming is probably our most Jack character of the film, Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> yeah, Jimmy Olsen is <laughs> in the morgue, tatted up. Uh, what is this alternate? <laughs> the only <laughs> he gets tats in an alternate universe. He doesn't get like strength or speed. It's just tats. <laughs> and he discovers that there's a body missing from the morgue uh, of scientists. And as he comes to this realization, we cut back to Kirk, where he sees Tina walking around. And not only Tina walking around, Magnus is walking around seemingly fully recovered. And it's here where we get perhaps one of the most craziest villain plans mm-hmm. we have ever covered on this podcast. <laughs> First off, also must mention, that Tin is also a part of this villain plan. He dun, comes dun, back to dun. life. How, he, how could he play with our emotions like that? I'll pour one out for you, man. 
So Tin locks up uh, Batman as Magnus is completely healed. This is where he reveals that his plan was that it started ever since Luther's boys. It started ever actually ever since Kirk took the serum. Um, every day since Kirk has been plagued with his vampirism, turning him into the hero Batman, uh, Tina was pleading with, with Magnus to find the cure. Every day he was saying, I was hearing this every day, like to the point where it's just like, I couldn't even eat a meal without hearing about your plague and your plight. And then one day he just got so upset and he hit her and her head hit the coffee table. In this moment here, we just see him take a sullen look and this is where he reveals everything. Yeah, he says like, if I'm capable of doing that with my normal human ass strength, what are you guys capable of doing in the Justice League? And decides to come up with an insane plan. Step one, he uses nanites to reconstruct his wife to pretend that she never died and has this metallic silver form. Mm -hmm. Step two, creates Project Fairplay and sees it to fruition so that everybody can kill superheroes. Step three, he creates enough nanites to get into the minds of everybody in the world and be able to remotely control their minds. Step four, he frames all the Justice League by building three nanite robots that can mimic their abilities. Step five, he has one of these robots nearly burn him to death to sneak (laughs) into the tower for step six, using the tower's battery reserves to spread the nanites across the world. Could there have been another way to do this? <laughs> or even less steps. I feel, because the main thing was like using the battery reserves and also Superman's ship to, to, to use that as the thing. I feel like if you had just walked in one day, you, you would have been good. Could you have tried sending the robots to the tower first? Maybe. Right. I, I mean, wild idea. But I mean, we've seen at least three fights with these robots against the Justice League, and each time the, the robots came ahead. Yeah, could you have not built more? Right. <laughs> like, could you not build an army of these robots? Like, it just seems like it could have skipped one or two steps. <laughs> so now Batman has to look in horror at his friend who has just gone so wrong down this path, create this nanite bomb to make sure that everybody thinks the exact same way. I, I also don't know why this was the, the was the plan. Like if you felt like you attacked your wife and I don't understand why everyone should have the same thoughts as you. Right. Um, so at the same time, we see that Superman and Wonder Woman are just, you know, they're, they're still fighting against them, against everybody. And this is when, um, you know, Batman has to realize is that the only thing he can do is Get that, take the shield down so that he get communications out there so that he can inform them about what the plan is. And he's working through that. He's trying. He's doing everything he can. But luckily for them, they have an ace up their sleeve by means of Lex Luthor in a Mobius chair. Yeah, he booms in like a gangster saying, like, you thought you got me? Come on now. <laughs> I'm Luthor. You think I'm not ready for this? Um, so he had boomed out just in time. And now he is allying with the Justice League to help them 
stop this crazy plan that Magnus has. Also, I do want to mention in the middle of this battle, Wonder Woman is shot in the chest and just spitballing maybe armor that covers the chest a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) We're not Power Girl, you know, like cover that up Um, just for your own safety and your vital organs. Like, so now Luthor has teamed up and after Superman uses an injustice finisher on the tower, it shakes it the tower enough for Batman to get free let down the security walls and now it is an all-out battle superman just goes i'll take all three robots i don't i don't care um wonder woman fights tina and batman is going against magnus just want to point out again superman once again facing off against robots he really don't like robots in the DC <laughs> anime the world yo what did they do to him <laughs> <laughs> so this leads to, I love this Superman battle, to be honest, because what ends up happening is um, we've seen throughout the entire film that the these metal men, as they're, you know, basically this the DC name, but these metal men are able to uh, manipulate their shape. Um, they're very malleable, even to the point where they combined all together. So now we have the power of this trinity in the body of one being that Superman has to face off against. And it gets wild. They are completely pummeling Superman at this point to the point where they enter into a train station and um, he's able to take out the mother boxes to use it to as a form of teleportation to cause it to split and also implode on itself. This also gives um, Wonder Woman a chance to team back up with Batman as they try to face off against Magnus. And I gotta say this, Magnus was taking hits from Batman. <laughs> Jesus, man, he he was coming back from every blow. Mm-hmm. And Tina's no slouch either. She was giving Wonder Woman quite a challenge because of how sharp she is. And Wonder Woman, in another gangster moment, puts her sword inside of Tina's body, says, fry, bitch, and yeah. sends her straight to the sun. <laughs> Do not pass go. Do not collect rent. You are going to the sun. Batman finally harnesses his rage and overwhelms his friend he's about to take a bite of blood and he goes i bet you taste like crap mm-hmm. and just go goes off leaves magnus to himself now this nanite machine is about to burst batman doesn't have enough time to hack it so one woman just sticks her sword in there that's it <laughs> and the yeah. end of your needlessly complicated plan is just a sword in the control panel and as one woman said you gotta appreciate that low tech <laughs> so now everybody's returned in terms of the Justice League. Um, Lex Luthor is also there. And this is where Magnus reveals that he is pretty sad about what he did. He more, I guess, more so because of the fact that it's like he's sad because he got caught. Sad to the point where he takes a bomb out of his pocket and presses the button. And this creates a flash that immediately disintegrates him. He commits suicide by destroying the nanites i guess that were used to bring him back to 100 percent health and he asked for kirk to forgive him for his actions with his dying breath kirk you know brings his long sad story with his friends to an end but what this does do is greatly improves the justice league's reputation even lois lane acknowledges they put themselves at great risk to to save us and without them, we would have been mind control zombies 
for just trying to understand the plan uh, would have reduced <laughs> us. So in the end, Becca decides all of this because the creatures use boom tubes. It kind of, she initially thought it might've been her people and she realizes now it's time to go and handle that. Mm-hmm. And Luthor is like, I ain't doing nothing Friday and goes with her. <laughs> and as they go off on this new adventure, Batman and Superman look upon the world. And for once, they are optimistic about what tomorrow might bring. And that tomorrow is actually um, information because before he does leave, Lex does give Superman all the data that he got from Krypton from the uh, Superman ship. And he reminds him that, or at least tells tells them all that there's a lot of great applications that you can use the technology of Krypton and it could really work well with Earth technology. So go out and be a real hero. I did like this moment. I do want to say I did like this moment because it does tie into kind of like the Superman mentality that we see more so in other materials where he's not only the superhero, but he's also a bit of the scientist. So seeing that Lex is giving Superman the blessing to move forward and be a real hero, and that's kind of how our episode and our movie ended with even Batman saying that he needs a science project. I really, I really like the way that this ended and wrapped up here between the two of them because once again, it's like that same story of you know I saw you were hungry, joined you along. I see you're hungry again now for information and trying to save the world. So would you like to join along? Hmm. Hmm. Bringing it full circle. Hmm. All right, that was Justice League Gods and Monsters. Before we give our sweet or sour rating, um, here is an ad for a podcast from the Forgotten Entertainment family that you can listen to the next time and not listening to us or maybe just going through a longer journey that Superman Baby went through in, the, in his conception at the beginning of this film. <laughs> Hi, I'm Mike Phil. Yeah, I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Generic Ad. Join us every Wednesday as we talk about films that seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. Forgotten Cinema is available wherever you get your podcasts or at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. I swear I talk more in the episodes. Justice League Gods and Monsters came out in 2015, so approximately seven years ago to the date of this recording. In the last seven years, has this movie remained sweet or has it soured? Well, as Batman would say, yum, yum, blood, blood. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Which translates to, I think this movie is more sweet than sour, definitely, because it takes... We've seen a lot of Elseworlds and alternate worlds and a, a lot of concepts. And sometimes it's usually what if Flash was named Johnny Quick and he was British and an asshole. Um, <laughs> but this movie. <laughs> that would be good when I watch that. Let's call Crisis on Two Earths, I think. Yeah, <laughs> that's all it is. That's the only change. But this movie really dives deep into why the world is different. It presents an intriguing mystery that really really that you want to dive into and see the end of and the characters are just so well written and mapped out throughout that you're really invested in their stories and whether they succeed or fail um definitely cannot ignore that the villain's plan here is absolutely insane Mm. just 
to a point of where it becomes it goes back to comical and then goes back to no this was just a bad plan um <laughs> from the beginning and i would definitely my rt alteration is to definitely get more of superman's immigrant backstory i felt kind of weird that they didn't dive into that really at all mm-hmm. except for a few passing mentions but they did so for the other two characters i don't know if it was a pacing issue or something but i feel like that was a, a big omission from the movie but overall i think with between the acting between the the writing i think this is definitely an elseworlds tale worth revisiting what about you i agree this is a sweet film for me um, I will say, I will admit that there were some souring moments that I did feel because even though it is an Elseworlds story, there is some repetitive DC story so storytelling that does come up. Like we do get the who watches the Watchmen trope and the, um, you know, we we at one point spent a lot of the movies going through where a Batman or a Superman that goes too far. So we did kind of see that play out here. I did like, though, that they did get a fresh take on who the characters were. I think having Kirk Langstrom be Batman this time around instead of being Man-Bat is a very interesting choice. So really kudos to that being done. And also agree with the um, Superman transition into being a, um, you know, landing with, a, I believe, was a Mexican family in the film. So that was a really interesting choice too because of the fact that like we always tend to downplay i don't think it's really just like clicks for a lot of people um you could probably understand by which i mean by a lot of people uh, that mm-hmm. superman is yes he is an american hero but you also have to remember his backstory where his origin of where he's coming from he wasn't just born in america this is why even now his new slogan is truth justice and a better tomorrow no longer the american way so i think that having this extra addition to his story kind of really changes the game and i really love this transition also becca oh my god this origin story of what happened to her on apocalypse this is the reason why this movie is a sweet for me because this holds the high ground of it all right here this captured, as you mentioned, the, for me, it captured the same essence of like the the the, the red wedding in just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first saw this, I didn't see this coming. I just loved every second of it. That like this time around, it wasn't Dark Side who committed the betrayal, but rather the people we've always seen as the good side. So to have the high father pull out this plan and Becca really just saying like it's the reason why she left home. I I, I love this. I thought this was great. It was a great change to the um, Wonder Woman origin story that we never gotten before. Uh, Becca is a hero within the DC universe, or rather a villain now within the DC universe. So I think that like seeing this point of view for her was kind of cool to see like this is how this is what happened to her. This alone just makes it just to me a sweet, sweet movie. Yeah, it's in some respects a better Wonder Woman movie than Wonder Woman 1984. Okay, um, I thought you were going to say like, Bloodlines, and I was just like, the two Wonder Woman movies we do not speak I, of. I didn't want to pick on Bloodlines again, but we've done it, so uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Bloodlines, we've done it again. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying, the points you're making about how you know strong these individual stories were, and these individual characters were, so I think that really goes a long way, and it to a point where I was like, I'd love to see these characters interact with some mainline characters and see, you know, the Superman is not necessarily evil. He's just mm-hmm. more brutal. And, yeah. and in some respects, they all are like that. 
but I would love to see them interact with Clark and Bruce and um, and Diana and see how they fit in. And I would also love to know Superman's damn first name. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, they should have at least drop that. You know, we you find out in the um, which I guess kind of segues into our comic book knowledge a little bit of it. Um, Hernan Guerra, uh, apologies if I am grossly mispronouncing that. It's H-E-R-N-A-N, last name G-U-E-R-R-A. He, yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's about right. Okay, okay. All right. Way to go. <laughs> um, elementary, middle school Spanish me. Okay. <laughs> so, yes, he is... Um, we actually do get a chance to see more of these heroes, um, these versions of these heroes in several ways. So um, because, as I mentioned, the reason why I brought up the Bruce Tim story about when he decided to step down and leading um, and decided to take on this like bit of a darker story, it's because he wanted to create this like brand new way of the Justice League a little bit or other things as well. So in order to get people interested in all of this, they needed to create promotional material for it. And this led to Bruce Tim in 2015 teaming up with J.M. Um, Dematius to write three one-shot comics introducing each one of these heroes and then follow it up with a three-issue prequel for this team before the events of this movie. That's a lot of dedication. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you do get that chance of meeting um, the intro, the um, the origin, a little bit of Superman here. We got to see him grow. We got to see um, a very kind of crazy story with Wonder Woman as well as Batman in this new world. So fortunately for us, each and every single one of these comics have been collected into a soft cover edition however if you are a member of dc universe infinite hashtag not sponsored you are able to actually find each and every single one of these comics digitally they've now been separated um so that instead of it being the three one-shot comic for each character and then the three prequel um it's now turned into 18 separate comics total um each character now is getting three comics and then the prequel gets split into nine I think I did that math right. So, uh, I, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll use our back computer to figure it out later. Tin, Tin, what do you think, buddy? <laughs> uh, but today, you know, I could talk about the comics, but I don't want to mainly because they did so much promotional material for this. They actually created a short animated series for this as well. Oh my god. <laughs> yes and today that is actually what i'm going to be talking about in today's wtf in comics slash cinema since i have to add this on now <laughs> so again they were really pushing for this movie to get some traction so uh prior to the release of this movie in july of uh, i believe it's july 26th or 28th of 2015 they actually released three six minute long episodes counting up into season one of Justice League Gods and Monsters Chronicles. This was released on June 8th, 2015 on the web platform Machinama? Machinama? Machinama, yes, that is, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I know how to pronounce this, but I kept, like, I kept thinking Machinama. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, all these day ex machinas we deal with. I get yep, it. yep. Ah, curse you, old language. <laughs> But yes, on Machinima, that was owned by Warner Brothers and DC Animation, they released the three episodes here. The um, And it goes in order of Twisted, which is our first episode, followed by Bomb, and then wrapping it all up with Big. 
But I'm not going to talk about it in that specific order. I'm going to first talk about the Twisted episode, which is the Batman-focused episode. So all of these, I will say, gets a WTF. The first one with the Batman episode, it is all about him chasing down Harley Quinn, who is taking on a bit of the attributes of the doll maker as she has killed and dismembered several people, keeping them in her fridge. Oh, And she's also staged some of them to create a new family for herself. As Batman is chasing after her, two of them get going into a battle. And this is, fortunately for Batman, as always, he does defeat Harley Quinn. She decides to give herself up willingly to be taken into the proper authorities. And this is when Batman looks her in the eye and says, authorities? As we see his teeth grow, and instead of bringing her in, he bites her neck severing her carotid artery it seems and all you just see ending the episode is just blood shooting out onto a home sweet home sign okay well there don't have to worry about the joker in this universe (laughs) yep nope we don't (laughs) uh the next one we have is called big um this is the wonder woman focus episode here she teams up with steve trevor so we actually get a little sense of what happened between the two of them why he had called out the um that the two of them had hooked up in the past. So the two of them are facing off against the Cobra gang, who you remember from our Static Shock episode, from that Future Shock episode. They have decided to build a giant robot called Giganta, another Wonder Woman villain, to go and interrupt the inauguration of President Amanda Waller. It's a mostly fun interaction because we get a chance to see Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor, who clearly had a thing for each other in the film, continue on in that banter. And as they finally defeat the robot, Steve Trevor, his uniform is completely ripped, revealing, um, revealing you know, a, a naked shoulder and a peck. And this is when Wonder Woman rips off the entire uniform. And Steve Trevor looks her in the eye and asks, do I need a safe word? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the episode does end with the two of them um, getting into an embrace as they fall into the floor with the robot looking on. <laughs> Now, finally, this is the second episode of the series. Um, This is called Bomb, and it's a story that involves Superman. In this one, we actually get a full sense. This is a good thing that they, you probably actually watched the film first before watching these, because in this one, we get a full sense that there's a cataclysmic event happening in Metropolis that is caused by Brainiac. Um, And Brainiac was actually being created by the U.S. government, by the Council of Dr. Savannah and President Waller, because it is an early stage of Project Fair Play. Okay. So, of course, everything goes awry where um, Dr. Savannah is asking for President Waller to release a nuclear warhead because it's the only thing that he can do to take down Brainiac. Um, Otherwise, he'll take away the whole entire eastern seaboard, even though this means that they will lose millions of people in Metropolis. Equivalent exchange, I guess. <laughs> uh, Superman, unfortunately, is nowhere to be seen at this point. So this is why Amanda Waller makes the decision to send over the nuclear warhead, uh, much to the displeasure of the pilot, who seems very Hal Jordan-like. At this moment, though, fortunately, Superman does fly in and scratches on his windshield that he just needs to give him five minutes. He'll solve this issue. So the bomb goes back into the plane. Superman flies over in the middle of the screaming populace of people who are just calling out to him as energy waves and all types of materials and destruction is making its way towards him. He finally makes his way over to the eye of the storm 
And in the calm, he sees Brainiac. And Brainiac is a small child with a broken arm. Mm. So if you're a Justice League fan, um, you might know what this means. Uh, if you remember that episode between Batman and Ace. Time to look at the flowers. <laughs> yes. Um, for those who don't know what that means, uh, Superman and Brainiac are having a conversation now. And Brainiac is just crying. He's tearing up. He's saying that he doesn't know why he's here. He's sorry that he's hurt so many people. He does know, though, that he was experimented on and he can't control his powers. And unfortunately, he can't even stop the damage that he's causing, which Superman replies with a saddened look. I can. Brainiac is tearing up at this point, and immediately his tears stop as he looks over in Superman's eyes and tells him, do it. Superman's eyes start to glow as he... Then we know that that means he released his heat vision as now everything calms down around them as Superman now has to take the body of this dead child and gently place it on the ground. And just like what happened with him when he saw the bodies of Silas and Victor Stone, we end our episode here with him mourning the loss of this child. Okay. Hardcore, but, you know, I mm-hmm. like it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this um this movie had a lot of work done on it to be honest. <laughs> so if you are looking for the origins of this Superman, you could definitely find it in the comics that are of the same name actually, Justice League Gods and Monsters hyphen Superman or hyphen Wonder Woman or hyphen Batman. Or if you want to find and, you know, shed a tear so you make sure you grab your tissues, then you can also watch Justice League Gods and Monsters Chronicles, which got one season. And actually, because of the popularity of this movie, they were going to create a second season that had 10 episodes. Unfortunately, this was before the Warner Brothers and Discovery merger. Things just fall apart. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it will be the last. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, this was not part of their 10-year plan, unfortunately. Oh, God. <laughs> Justice League Gods and Monsters is a great installment, if in the Elseworlds storytelling and uh, certified suite here at, um, for yet another DC animated podcast. So as we now wrap up our episode here, that means that we have to, actually, because it's sweet and sour, sweet or sour, it looks like we're going to have to go back into the Batman or Superman storytelling. Yes. We're going way back. We're going back to the era of Biff Bam Pow during action scenes. Because next week, we're going to the return of the Cape Crusaders. (laughs) Yes, we are going to cover the Adam West era of Batman. The 60s, we'll see so many more. Um, But until then, take care of yourselves and remember that... If your plan has more than six steps and is basically to hive control the mind, you probably shouldn't have been one of Luthor's boys. And if you're trying to hit on your friend's wife, which you shouldn't do, but if you do do that, don't do it in front of a glass window. Just step like <laughs> two feet over. Um, it, it's, just, it's just better for everybody. <laughs> yeah, don't let, don't let us get tin on you now. <laughs> yeah, tin, tin's out there. What you doing there? <laughs>